Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and along with me today is a gentleman that I got, I was lucky enough to play, watch play hockey growing up, Dennis Hextall. Dennis played with the uh, Minnesota North Stars, he played with the LA Kings, he played with the New York Rangers, uh, also with the Detroit Red Wings, and finished his career with the Washington Capitals. Welcome, Dennis, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's good to be here, Doug, and hopefully we have fun for the next hour. I'm hoping so. I know I, I know we will. Dennis, w when did you first start playing hockey? The first time I skated, I was three years old and on the Madison Square Gardens. Uh, my father played for the New York Rangers, and uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. In fact, when New York won, when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup back in the 40s, I'm not sure which year it was, but it was the early 40s, he led the league in scoring and scored the winning goal in overtime against Toronto to, for the New York to win the, the Stanley Cup. So we used to go down uh, with him at practice, and every once in a while we'd get a chance to go on the ice. So I was three years old, skating on Madison Square Gardens. <laughs> that had to be quite a deal for a young lad from Poplar Point, Manitoba. Oh, yeah. You know, we lived in, well, Poplar Point, maybe 500 people. And then you go to New York and slightly bigger. So did you spend time growing up in Canada, Dennis, or was it more in the U.S. because with your father playing in the NHL? No, he uh, would go to training camp and then he go to New York, get an apartment for us, and then uh, mom would take us there. At, uh, my older brother and my younger brother the last year. So when I was five, dad retired and we went, you know, we lived in Popper Point. That was our home. I mean, we lived there year round except for when we went to New York. That had to be quite an experience um, seeing New York City the size of that in comparison to uh, where you spent time after your dad retired. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's unbelievable. You look at Manhattan and because uh, at that time, the, the guys basically, you know, all the players in that, I think, stayed fairly close, you know. And uh, I know now uh, most of the players that they have a practice rink and uh, they stay closer to that than they do to Madison Square. When was the first time you saw a Zamboni machine? Well, I'm not really sure. I remember they used to do it with the barrels in New York. You know, they used to have the old barrels and then the cloth behind them on the, on the rod hanging out both sides. That's where they used to flood it. That would have been sometime, oh, geez, when we were just kids, I guess, that first saw Zambonis. Okay. Uh, I'm, it, I'm not even sure. I couldn't even guess. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but Madison Square Garden was the last NHL team to go to a uh, ice resurfacer with a, it was a Zamboni machine. And that machine is up at an outdoor rink in a park in Michigan state the, or the state of Michigan. So it's, we've seen some pictures of it and it's got the Madison square garden logo on it. And it's up there in Michigan. And maybe uh, if you get the opportunity, you'll run across it uh, going through the woods on one of your hunts. <laughs> what town is it in? I'm going to have to do some digging, and I'll send you a text or an email and let you know. But we, I'll, I think we've also got some photos of it uh, that Paula can probably extract for us and uh, get sent to you that's uh, in our archives. But uh, I think you'll find it kind of interesting. It's, it's been um, – we try to track the machines, and that was a unique machine in that it didn't dump because of the height of Madison Square Gardens where they parked the machines. Uh, they had very low ceilings, so – they went with a non-dumping machine and they were the last ones. And there's stories that I've heard. I don't know how accurate they are about, I uh, had to do with the unions, uh, not wanting to lose the jobs of the guys that were out there with the shovels and pulling the carts and such. So uh, in interesting stuff back then. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was. I saw on your Wikipedia page that you went to the University of North Dakota and being a former Minnesotan and a Golden Gopher fan, it was kind of disturbing that a talented guy like you wouldn't choose the U of M over University of North Dakota. But what was it like playing hockey back in UND, at UND at that time? And, and how did you choose going to UND to play hockey? Well, at that time, the coach of UND was uh, Barry Thorndecraft. And Barry had played junior hockey in Winnipeg, uh, St. Boniface Canadians. And my dad coached them the one year, and they went to the Memorial Cup. And then Thorndycraft, after junior, uh, I'm not sure what he did. I, he, never, he never played pro, to my knowledge. But he ended up as a coach of uh, North Dakota, and they had a very good team. And he was down there. And 
I was lucky I come out of junior. I had four offers. One of them was the University of Minnesota. Um, Mariucci had offered me, and they took one Canadian a year, so I had a full ride down there if I wanted it. I had a full ride at Denver, and I had a full ride in North Dakota and Michigan Tech. And at that time, those were the powerhouses. But I knew all the guys going to North Dakota, and I knew we'd have a hell of a team, which we did. So the one year we ended up in first place, uh, and Michigan Tech was second, and the next year, uh, we were second and Michigan Tech was first. And I know Tech won uh, the final four when we went to that. Uh, Tech won it. We played, I think, against Boston and played the whole game in their end but couldn't score goals. So it was just one of those things. We ran into a hot goaltender and uh, they beat us and then Tech uh, whitewashed them the next night. Gophers and Denver were, were the two big rivalries at North Dakota. And did you get any grief? I remember as a kid going to the, the Met Center with my dad, and he had to be there well before game time. And I was just a young kid and was able to sit in the stands and watch John Mariucci hold court with uh, several of the people. He was an older man at the time. Did he give you any grief uh, when you were with the North Stars about choosing UND over the University of Minnesota? No, John never said anything. He was a pretty much a gentleman. In fact, when I first got traded from Oakland to Minnesota and I had to go in there and sign a contract, talk to Ren Blair and all that. Mary Ucci's the one that picked me up at the airport. And, you know, my father had played against him. And uh, so John was, you know, I'm sure if I had gone to Minnesota, I would have enjoyed it. Uh, But it just, I chose the other, other route and Denver. If I had taken a trip, uh, you know, like today, the kids can take, I think, three trips. But if I had taken a trip out to uh, to Denver, I would have went there. I mean, I get out there in the mountains and stuff. Uh, I would have been just perfectly <laughs> it. But I didn't. So I went to the old flat state of North Dakota where you can watch your dog run away for three days. So. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Now, you said you played in a Quonset hut. Was this pre the old Ralph Engelstad Arena then? Uh, and oh, yeah. pre the new Ralph Engelstad Arena. Correct. Yeah, it was. Uh, if it was ten below outside, it was ten below inside. Uh, it was just a huge concert hut. Uh, I don't know how many people had sat. Not you know, not not a lot. Not like today's arena. And so, like North Dakota's arena today has got to be the nicest arena in the U.S. I mean, and you come out of that in college hockey and go to some of the pros, I mean, I don't think they can touch what they have off the ice as far as facilities go. I mean, so I take, the, the, I, I take it you've been to the new Ralph and taken a look at that facility. Oh, yeah. I've been in, in it several times. I was there for the grand opening when uh, they brought it out, and they had the family out in center ice. And uh, he said, as long as I'm alive, he says, They'll never change the name. Of course, he passed away, and the name got changed. I don't know how you go from the Fighting Sioux to the Fighting Hawks. <laughs> Just doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah, that that was and still is a great pro college program. I mean, North Dakota's just—they're always in it, you know. They had they had a lull. I know after I left, and Rube Jorkman took it over, and they went downhill there for about six, seven years. And then Gino Gasparini, who was a freshman my last year, he um, he brought the program back, and it's been solid ever since. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Gino Gasparini and Dean Blaze, who just got elected into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, my One of my first trips up there, I think it was probably 1989, I go up and walk into the building and knock on a door, and there are two guys – I, well, there's probably three or four of them that were in there, and two of them were in their boxer shorts, and one was Gino and one was Dean, and they're playing poker or some kind of card game. And they looked at me, and I'm this young kid, and they're going, what do you want? And I said, oh, I'm here from the Zamboni Company. But just Gino is a, a great gentleman and I'm very happy to see Dean uh, get elected to the Hall of Fame because he was a great guy. He coached up at uh, Rozo uh, for a while, and uh, a friend of my dad's, his kid played up there, and just a great program. Great program. Yeah, and they, and they draft, you know, they draft a lot of Canadian kids, and they generally take one or two kids out of Winnipeg pretty near every year. You know, like, they've got, 
I think North Dakota has turned more guys into the NHL than any other school. Well, they, they've got some great, great kids that have come out of there. One of them, uh, the great Christian family, uh, Dave Christian, yeah. whose nephew now is playing for the Islanders, Brock Nelson, uh, the grandson of Billy Christian. So uh, I, I got to give him a lot of credit. And then one of your line mates, uh, J.P. Parisi, his two kids, Zach and uh, I forget what the, the goalie's name was. They both went up there and played, played at yeah. UND. So I think the goalie was Joe. Yeah. And, but, uh, Great program, it, great great facilities, I, great stuff. Yeah, I was up in North Dakota. I saw both the kids play. So, and um, you know, JP is likely one of the best left wingers I played with, if not the best. And a great practical joker, based on some stories that I heard from my father. And we'll maybe tap into those a little bit uh, uh, later down the the conversation here. Dennis, you come we, from a a big hockey family. And your dad, I saw today, your dad won a Stanley Cup. And you are now three generations, is that correct? Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, well, uh, dad was first, and then uh, my older brother, Brian, and then his son, Ronald. Ronald played goal for Philadelphia for about, what, 12 years or so? And Brian, he played mainly in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and Atlanta. You know, we, we all come up through the New York system simply because dad was a ranger and uh back in those days when us guys kids turned junior we uh, uh would pick a team that was sponsored by an nhl team there wasn't any uh free agency or anything like that so when i was 18 and i went and played junior with brandon i was tied up with new york rangers so and anybody on the team would be and so that's how it was there was no draft you just come up through the junior ranks and then you turn pro but anyway, Dad, after he retired, um, he went back home, and we settled there. And uh, then my older brother was considered one of the best juniors in Canada. Uh, and then I turned, so uh, I turned junior right after he did. After he left, he was in Brandon for three years. I was in Brandon for two years, and my younger brother was there for two years. So there was a hex doll on the Brandon Wheat Kings for seven years in a row. But uh, anyway just growing up with all that and, and and I was small at the time when I my first year junior I think I was maybe five nine 150 pounds so it was a different game for me but uh, when I went to college I think that's where things happened a lot of guys that I had played with they seemed to level off and I kept I, you know just kept seemed to progressing and uh, so and I only played two, two years of college freshman year none of us could play like in any sport as a freshman you had to sit out so I played my sophomore and junior year and then I left because what they brought in was uh, that summer before that they brought in a rule that if you played junior a hockey after you turned 20 you lost a year's eligibility well I played two games in the playoffs against Edmonton my last year junior after I turned 20 so I lost a year's eligibility. But uh, I was, like I said earlier, I had four offers. So North Dakota said, come on down. We're going to pay for four years. So away I went. Well, there you but, go. Uh, and your brother played, he had, he's a couple of years older than you, Brian, correct? Yes. And family competitiveness. I've got a couple stepdaughters who are soccer players they're they're beyond college and uh high school they're into having the grandkids for us now um how competitive was it growing up between you and your siblings um we all competed in the sports but we never played against hardly ever played against each other you know because of the age difference um you know when we were back in popper point i had to play up with my brother i played with him uh, simply because we didn't have enough kids to to have a lot of teams. So we had had a lead back home in Poplar Point, and you had, you know, huge age differences. But the coaches tried to uh, play the same age against the same age. But So line one would be, and then line two, and everybody tried to get them at the ages where they'd be competitive and nobody getting hurt. So that was always part of it. So... 
actually, you know, as a youngster, scoring for me was, you know, forget about it because most of my time I was just trying to check somebody. So, it, but it was interesting, and, and God knows we had enough ice time. We were on the ice for every night. Did you have a rink in your backyard that you were able to skate on, or was this at the, the community rink? Well, we had a community rink was uh, was open air, and then when my father retired and stuff, uh, they closed a, they built a closed in arena, and it actually was all uh, local help and labor. And I know Dad, he built a lumber yard, and that's what he ran when he retired. Um, he supplied most of the material, then they paid him back uh, as they went along. But uh, so we were. I never really got to play on a closed-in arena until I went to Brandon. That was it. But even playing juvenile back home, I was in the open air and closed arena, sort of a combination. But uh, we were, hell, as soon as it froze outside on creeks or ponds or anything, us guys were skating. You know, and then once they got the ice flooded inside the, the arena, we were on the ice, like I say, pretty every night. Now, in comparing the stats between you and your brother, Brian, do you get to gloat a little bit when it gets together for family functions, or do you just kind of let that slide that you scored more goals than he did? You know, it's sort of like politics. You just sort of leave it alone. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I've been told by some friends of mine that I have a tendency to lead with my chin, so um, I haven't learned that political correctness that, uh, that you exercise with your family. No, we, just, awesome. we, we leave it alone, and, uh, you know, we know. And actually, we played together on the same line in Minnesota for about uh, 15, 20 games. And um, he was going along. He was doing about a point a game. I remember we were getting ready one night to play Philadelphia, and he comes in. He says, oh, it'll be a tough one tonight. They're going to come. And I said, they won't, they won't bother you. I said, just relax. I said, just go out there and have fun. I says, you've got Goldsworthy on one side, and I'm – in the middle I said they'll leave you alone so I said they're afraid of Goldie and I said they know what I can do so just go out and play the game that's a, a, a different era back then and I can remember the Broad Street Bullies and I can remember a few of the times you stood up for for the North Stars and took on Dave Schultz and uh, a few others and I, I was able to meet him later uh, in life after he was done playing hockey he actually ran an ice rink uh, down in the Philadelphia area and ran into him at a trade show. And that guy had hands that were, they looked like sledgehammers, the size of those hands. I've never, never seen anything like that other than we had a guy worked at a bowling alley that had huge fingers that uh, were like sausages when you try to put a ring on them. So. Yeah. You know what? And Schultz was one of the nicest guys you wanted to meet off the ice. Um, he, he was a one and I've done a couple of things with him. I actually did a signing with him. And uh, he's A1, you know, and on the ice, he was the backbone of Philly. He was the only, I got to be honest, he was the only tough one, you know, until they finally, towards the end of my career, they got a couple of bigger guys. But when they were really going and the Broad Street Bullies, and Broad Street Bullies is really the way, I'm going to say Fred Sherrill was the best coach I ever had. And Sherrill had a way of getting everybody on the team to stick up for each other. And and that's where that came from. You know, when, when they beat Boston for the Stanley Cup, if you want to go player for player, they couldn't compare to Boston with talent. But they sure in the hell compared to them as far as work ethic and everything else because things used to come easy for Boston. But Philadelphia, they, you know, with, with Clark as uh, the guts of it, everything, making everybody work and stuff. But Schultz was a guy when the, when it got going, he was the one right in the middle of it and doing it all. And he would go after, you know, I used to get going with him. I'd, I don't know, I had three or four fights. But all of a sudden, you know, our line used to lead the North Stars in scoring. I'm sitting in the box with a guy that scored 10 goals a, a year. And that's the way they beat you. They had a way of doing it. And I still think it was Fred Sherrill, the coach. He's the one that put it all together. Yeah, that was an interesting team. And I was looking at your stats to reminisce a little bit. In 72-73, you scored 30 goals, had 52 assists for 82 points, 
and spent 140 minutes in the penalty box, which is that's seven periods of hockey in the penalty box, not getting to play. And maybe there could have been some, if you had a game misconduct in there, that's not factored into that time. So that those are pretty incredible stats. And I didn't look back to see uh, MVP race that year, but I'd have to think that you would have been in the running uh, with those numbers. Uh, you mean for the league? Yes. Um, boy, I don't even no, I don't think I was. Uh, but um, I know the my year in Oakland, like I would bounced around for two or three years and couldn't really get up and stay up, you know, with New York. Um, but then once um, I got traded from New York to L.A., L.A. to Montreal, Montreal uh, to Oakland. And when I got in Oakland, I thought, boy, I got to do something to make a spot here. And I think that year I had, I'm not sure, but I think I had 22 majors. Wow. But, well, yeah, 217 minutes. I'm looking at the stats right now. 21 goals, 31 assists, 52 points, and 217 penalty minutes. Yeah, and I like I led the team in scoring out there and also in penalties and stuff. And uh, But I established a lot of people by the end of the year, you know, they'd hesitate going in the corners with you. And that's all you needed. You just needed that one second to get in there ahead of them and get control of the puck and then – do what you're going to do so when i got traded to minnesota the next spring i think minnesota they thought they were drafting a you know a tough third line centerman and then ended up being tough first line centerman sure and uh so it just went from there and then like the first year in minnesota i had the knee operation so i didn't do much but after that i pretty well led the team until i got traded dennis how special was it for you and looking back at these, your first game in the NHL was with the team that your dad played for and helped to win a Stanley Cup in the, the last Stanley Cup that they won until Messier came in uh, that led to the chant, you know, all those years when the Islanders were winning of 1941. How special was it for you to be able to put on that uh, the jersey of the Rangers that your dad was wearing? Oh, that. I mean, I wanted to play in New York. That's where my goal was to be a regular with the New York Rangers. And uh, after I got traded, I damn near, I think, was ahead of all their sentiment as far as scoring, and that went. You know, once I got established in in uh, Oakland and then Minnesota, I mean, I could compete with any of their sentiment. I remember going in there one night. We beat them 5-4 or something, and uh, I had a goal and four assists. And I was playing, Henry Boucher was on our line. He had a goal. I think Henry ended up scoring the winning goal that night. But I just sort of would chuckle to myself saying, okay, you buggers traded me. Good. We'll make it look good on you. And I, I know when we were in Oakland, we beat them twice that year. And both times I scored the winning goal. So it used to pump me up playing against them. But I wish I would have played with them, you know, for 10, 12 years. Sure. What was your time like? You only spent a season with the California Golden Seals. Was Charlie O'Finley still the owner of the team at that time? And what, what was it like playing out in Oakland? Charlie Finley, well, put it this, this year uh, or this way. When I got traded to Oakland, I'm going, oh, hell, because I actually was in L.A. for maybe 18 games, and I just did not – I did not fall in love with that city. So – Anyway, when I got traded to Montreal and then back to Oakland, I'm going, oh, geez, not the West Coast again. But Freddie Glover was a coach out there, and Frank Selke and Ben Bill uh, Story were the GM and assistant GM. And I, for the first time, really got an opportunity to play. And uh, I'd played against Freddie Glover when he was in the American Hockey League, but when we went out there, he treated me A1. And I had a, you know, a hell of a year as far as I was concerned because I led the team. And like I think you just said, I had 21 goals and assists and all that stuff. But that got me an opportunity. And suddenly I get traded to Minnesota, which has got, you know, they were Montreal beat them out in the playoffs that year. You know, but Minnesota took them to six games or something like that. But uh, it was for me great. But Charles Finley, anytime he came to town, 
I used to get tapped on the shoulder to go to whatever he was doing. Like he was, you know, trying to promote the team and everything. So he treated, I got treated A1. I mean, I, I can't complain. In fact, I was sort of disappointed when I got traded to Minnesota because uh, I didn't know what was going to happen there. So, but anyway, it turned out being a real good opportunity for me. You know, you you go from guys that are scoring 10, 12 goals on your wings to Goldsworthy and Freezy scoring, you know, I think Goldsworthy had 48 one year. Freezy didn't have to worry about it. One of the best left winger checkers that I've seen and, uh, you know, just a, a tough, hard-nosed player. Dennis, you mentioned, um, and I didn't realize I didn't have these in proper sequence, but you played for the Kings, which um, was a customer of ours back in that era, uh, and they are again today. Um, what was that like in L.A. with a different marketplace trying to introduce hockey? And, and it's way different today uh, than it was when you played out here. And I'll tell you, from my perspective, it's it's really changed a lot uh, when Gretzky came here. But what was it like playing at the Great Western Forum where all those great Laker teams were the primary draw? Well, you know, the, the facility was great and everything else. It was tough living there. And um, I we never – they didn't have a good team. And um, it was, you know, I made the team, et cetera, et cetera. Your 20 games, I think, I was second on the team in scoring. I get sent down to the minors. Um, so I was in Springfield for 10 games. And, and for the 10 games I'm there, I'm leading the team in, in goals and assists and stuff. And then I got in a fight with um, uh, Bouchard, Butch Bouchard, uh, that night. We ended up beating the, the Voyagers. Uh, and anyway, Butch was cross-checking me from the back, and I turned around and I caught him right in the butt in the first punch. And down he goes, and then I give him another one. And the next day, I'm traded to Montreal. <laughs> so I go to Montreal, and uh, <laughs> have a meeting with Sammy Pollock, which lasted about five minutes, and he says, we're going to do this, this, and this. Go and have fun. So anyway, I go out, I play with them, and... Uh, my wingers are Larry Mickey and uh, Mahovlich. So, and, oh. and we had, they, I have never been on a stronger hockey club in my life. I mean, that team was just loaded. Mark Tartar for John Houle, uh, Gila Point, Butch Bichard, every, everybody, the whole team the next year was in the NHL. So you're, you're dealing with one of the, right before they became, well, they, they probably still were at that time as well, but. All of those guys are names I can remember. I remember seeing the Mahavlich brothers and uh, Yvonne Cornwaye and Kenny Dryden as a great goalie and got to talk a little bit with Tommy Reed about his goal that he scored on a penalty shot against uh, like Ken Dryden and what a treat that was as a kid to, to hear about. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it, it, we, it was unbelievable. Then right, right at the end of the season, the Canadians are allowed to take up five guys as support for the playoffs. Well, they call five guys up and uh, it just stripped the team, you know. But uh, anyway, we ended up losing to uh, Buffalo, and Fred Sherrill was a the coach there at the time, and that's where I played with him. Uh, but then the next year or that summer, I got traded to Oakland along with Ernie Hickey, and for it was for a first-round draft pick who ended up being Gila Fleur. But that's how much they all – Montreal used to do that. They trade the kids away, or not the kids. They trade away players uh, that they didn't think would help their big team, and it, it always went for draft picks. And so every year they, you know, they traded with Oakland, figuring Oakland's not going to do very well. And we ended up we had a horrible team in last place, but uh, first round pick Guy Lafleur, and they and they did that year after year. And that's one of the reasons I think the NHL made rules about um, trading draft picks because the weak teams that needed to get the young players were trying to trade for uh, more experienced players, and it ended up biting them in the backside usually uh, in the long run. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, like, um, take a look at my nephew, Ronald. Like, he was in Philadelphia uh, doing, you know, working for the organization. Then he went out to L.A. Uh, as assistant GM and um, 
they had the worst team in the league at that time. Five years later, they won the cup, but they won it over the draft picks. You know, they got uh, quick and goal. They got, uh, they just filled it in. Then at the end, they filled in with two or three guys that they knew out of the Philadelphia system. Bingo, they won the cup. And look at Philadelphia today. They're, uh, you know, they were doing real well. There's the young kids that are on the team. And the one who's drafted them is Ronald. He, he filled that team up with young kids and good ones. Yeah, and that, that's usually the secret. And you have to get all of the guys the window of opportunity. Uh, they all have to come together, add it, sprinkle in a few seasoned veterans uh, to give them some playoff experience and then then win. And it's, it's interesting to me to see this year's two Stanley Cup finalists. Uh, they are in non-traditional hockey markets, if you uh, if you want to say that these days. Uh, but Dallas against Tampa, who would have thought that uh, back when you were playing in the 70s? Yeah, it's you know it's different, but um, that's just the way it is. And uh, you know those are good organizations, and it it comes from the top down. You know, you, like Eisenman built up Tampa Bay. Um, and I think Jimmy Nill, who's out of the Detroit system, is down running uh, Dallas. Dennis, um, in 71-72, I, I noticed that you played a little bit of time down in Cleveland, and I'm going to assume that that was rehab time. Uh, at, you said you had knee surgery. Is that correct? Yes. The first year I was in Minnesota. Okay. Uh, what was your favorite minor league city that uh, you played in? You played in Knoxville, Omaha, Buffalo. Uh, Springfield, uh, which of those cities is closest to your heart for a favorite place to play? Um, I would say Buffalo. Um, my second year, uh, I'd be my, yeah, I played in Knoxville my first year out of college, and I had a good time there. You know, it was East Coast Hockey League. Um, the next year, I went to camp, and uh, I was going to Omaha, and uh, I had a bum knee, so I went home for about a month and come back there. And then um, Jake Milford, who was our GM in uh, Junior and Brandon, he was down there running it. And I couldn't get any ice time. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't get He wouldn't play me. So anyway, Buffalo had an injury. So Fred Chira calls me up. And, uh, you know, so I get sent up to Buffalo and uh, all of a sudden, I played 50 games, and I think I had 50 points, and I ended up second in the Rookie of the Year. So getting out of Omaha was great. So Omaha wasn't one of my favorites, and Buffalo was. I ended up playing there the last half of one year and most of the next year. And in fact, I was leading the league in scoring. I got called up with New York, and then I got sent down and then called up again. And I go up there. We, we beat Boston. The one, uh, we blew them up. And uh, I had a goal and two assists and first star. And then the next two or three games, I could hardly get on the ice. Then back to Buffalo. So it was, I would still say Buffalo was my favorite uh, minor league team. And I'm going to assume the time with the Red Wings, with your involvement with their alumni, uh, that Detroit might be your favorite city uh, that you played in in the NHL, or would uh, New York be uh, higher on that list? Minneapolis. I re I really enjoyed playing really? with the North. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I was, you know, in a way, I sort of created the trade, um, but I was disappointed too when I when I left there. Um, my wife's from there, you know, the family we, and everything was good there. Uh, it was an easy city to get around and travel, and uh, you know, I got treated pretty good there. So I was disappointed. I guess in the management, I thought the management made some bad trades and um, let the team go down. I mean, we didn't, we weren't picking up real good draft picks to fill in, you know, because um, the team didn't change much from the day I got there to the day I left. So uh, you've got to have good draft picks. And I don't know about their scouting staff or some of them. And the same thing when I got to Detroit, I mean, uh, they were getting number one pick, period, number one. And they're having trouble getting the kid to be able to play. So it's um, you've you've got to pay attention to running your organization. And 
that's why Detroit uh, ended up selling. Uh, Norris ended up broke. And uh, look, Mike Elitch takes it over, and uh, look what he's done. They had an organization, what, for 18 years were in the playoffs? But when you're... When you're, not, when you're up off every year, it's hard to get a number one draft pick that's going to just come in and really be a key player for your team. Yeah, it, it's it's very tough, and it's one of the things I look at with teams who are in the middle uh, where they struggle because they're just good enough to make the playoffs. They're not going to be good enough to really be a contender unless something just spectacular happens. Um and you, you need to go down. And that's like the LA Kings did that. They hit the bottom for a while, got hit well on draft picks, had everybody come together. And other teams, Chicago, Blackhawks were a very similar story. When they got Taves and Kane, uh, that really changed the team. And uh, you have to hit on a first round draft pick. If you don't, you're going to struggle and you're not going to be very good. And you can take a look at uh, it, it doesn't impact you necessarily that year. But you can look three, four, five years down the road, and that is what causes teams to not be able to play very well if they miss on a first-round draft pick because that's your pipeline. Yeah, you gotta you got to make sure that your first pick is the best available. Well, you, know, you, mentioned, you mentioned a little bit about the trade that you kind of forced your way out of Minnesota. Um, I'm hoping that there was something to that because nothing against Bill Hogaboom, but he was not a Dennis Hextall, uh, not in my mind, and not in the guy I got to watch as a kid and having you as an instructor at North Star Hockey Camps when I was a little kid as well. So um, what is there more to that story as to why you wanted to get out of Minnesota? No, it's they had started making some bad trades. You know, they take our best defenseman and they trade him to Atlanta, Barry Gibbs. And um, we get two guys, Dean Talifus, and I blame Walter Bush in that. Like, Walter Bush come out and he said, I want to have an All-American team. There wasn't 20 good U.S. kids in the league. So how's he going to get an All-American team? And he's trading away, you know, what I thought was a real quality defenseman and Barry Gibbs, and he gets two guys that are very questionable. Um, then they go and they get, I think it was King from L.A. I forget who they give away. They trade away J.P. Verries in you drew in for two guys that really weren't going to help your team. I mean, when you start making trades like that, your team just goes downhill. And you go in the dressing room and the guys that have been there are going, holy, you know, what's going on? And like you said, Hogabon, I mean, I I don't think he could carry my jock strap at times. So I just look at it and they, they just destroyed that franchise. You know, but that was part of it. Yeah, it was a, a different era back then, and I also look at it in, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But uh, And there are other teams that passed on uh, Bobby Clark as well. But And again, nothing against uh, Dennis O'Brien. He was a serviceable defenseman, tough guy. But uh, if the North Stars would have drafted Bobby Clark, who knows what uh, what things would have been like at that point in time. Oh, yeah. For darn sure. You know, and you got, that's why I don't think you're, they do their homework. I mean, if Bobby Clark had a problem medically there, go check with him and see the family and everything. See what's, see what's going on, how these kids come up and, and everything else. You've got to, like my nephew, Ronald, when he's drafting kids, he drafts a Russian kid. He gets on an airplane, flies to Moscow. They pick him up. He goes to the family's home, visits them when they're all done comes back to the airport and flies home. But he wouldn't draft the kid unless he met him and met the family. And that's the way he operates. And that's why a lot of the, the teams that he's been with really do well because he is very conscientious, loves the game, and uh, just goes forward. You know, it's, and you have to do that. And Detroit didn't do it, and Minnesota, I don't think, did it. Yeah, it, it was a different world back then. And I, I can remember when Lou Nanny was wrapping up his career and then getting involved with it. And, uh, you know, it was the so close you can taste it when they lost in 81 to the Islanders in the Stanley Cup finals. And then they replaced what I called the guys that were the grinders, that the heart, and went for a bunch of talent. And 
talent doesn't necessarily win if it doesn't have any heart. Yeah, somebody's got to go get the puck. And if you get rid of the grinders, um, you know, you're losing all that. And the thing is there, not that Louis built up the team. That's when Cleveland, the Gun Brothers, bought had Cleveland, they brought Minnesota, and they merged the two teams. So you get the top players off each team, and then, you know, they had a great year. And then Louie starts his trading and traded the team away. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a different time. Um, it, it's interesting you talk about the trade with Barry Gibbs. It was Dwight Bialois and Dean Talifus. And as a kid, my dad used to bring hockey players up to my grandparents' resort to fish. And the Canadians, for some reason, Canadian people think they know how to fish better than us Americans do. And I, I don't know what that's all about. But um, Dwight came up with his girlfriend, and she was catching fish left and right, and he couldn't catch something if it was tied to his line. But, uh, but <laughs> that was very, very interesting. Hey, one of the guys you got to play with, uh, Dennis, is Buster Harvey. And maybe you could elaborate a little bit about Buster, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of history on Buster. He came over to our house when I was a kid, and my parents cooked meals for some of the young guys who were away from home and maybe didn't have a good home-cooked meal very often. And Buster ended up being our dealer, our Zamboni dealer for us out in the Maritimes. Um, what, what do you remember about Buster and uh, getting your opportunity to play with him? Buster uh, was handy around the net, but as far as being in the corners and playing a tough game, Buster wasn't there. He, that's a wrong nickname for him. They should have called him something else because Buster's sort of a tough name. But um, he was fun to play with, and I played with him and Danny Grant, the two tunas. And um, Danny Grant could score goals, and Buster was sort of, sort of an all-round player, but uh, not tough. In fact, one night, uh, we're in Long Island, and it was an exhibition game, I mean, preseason. And Danny Grant and I aren't dressed. We're sitting out and Buster's out there playing. And he, I don't know what happened, but him and Bobby Nystrom got into it. And that wasn't even a fair fight. I mean, Nystrom hit him. So his hands had to be sore after hitting him so many times. But anyway, we go in the dressing room after the game and Buster said, I'll bet you he's sore for the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he just those hands of his. Couldn't take a pound. He says, I stopped everything. <laughs> you know, Buster was a funny kid. And that that's one thing. And then when I got traded to Detroit, he was my winger too. So I've played quite a bit with him. And uh, him and I got along. And now I know why he was a little chubby. Your mother was overfeeding him. <laughs> well, he was, he was a great guy. Sad to see him go a little bit early. And uh, you got to play with Danny Grant, who was a, uh, one of the he scored 50 goals back when scoring 50 goals meant an awful lot because it didn't happen very often. And uh, yeah, sadly, he had 50 in Detroit. Uh, he was playing on the wing with uh, Marcel Dion. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think the best he had 38, I think, one year with uh, with me on you know on my wing. So. In fact, one year we were the third highest scoring line in the NHL. I think Grant and I and uh, Goldsworthy. Um, and the two lines that beat us was uh, Esposito out of Boston and uh, the Vecchio Howe-Mahovlich in Detroit. So we had a pretty solid line that year. Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, in going back and, and looking at the hockey of that era. It's what I grew up with, so that's why I have such a passion for it. You finished your career in Washington and had a couple seasons that I'm going to guess were injury-ravaged because you didn't play a full season either year. What was that like, and what did you feel like when you knew the end was coming to your, your career? Well, um, Lindsay, um they wanted to go with kids here. So they got myself and Nick Libet and Terry Harper. We were all getting moved out. And so when Lindsay says, I'm going to send you to the world hockey. And I said, I'm not going to the world hockey. So I ended up sitting out about six weeks here. And then I finally went in and said, Ted, if you don't get rid of me and do something, I'm going to sue the organization. So anyway, they give me my free agency. So I go in and sign off with them. And I had made a deal with Washington I was talking to Washington and uh, Chicago, 
and Chicago wanted me for that year just as more or less a backup for the playoffs and stuff. Um, but I ended up going to Washington because I had a two-year contract out of them, but I was going down as a player assistant coach, and I thought that might be an opportunity. But I made the wrong decision. I should have went to Chicago because uh, Washington, the, the organization was uh, – they were feuding inside – and they had a horrible hockey club at the time. But uh, that's the way things go. And if I had gone to a different team, um, you know, I could have played maybe another year or two years as a third-line check and centerman because that's one thing I could always do. And uh, it would have been would have been good. But you have to go to a, a strong team to do that, you know, for them to uh, just carry you as a third, you know, line checking, you know. You're going to score a few goals, but you're not going to be leading the team or anything like that. But when your legs start going, you you know it. So that's part of it. So would you have been able to fit in down in Chicago with Keith Magnuson, considering the few bouts that you had with him? Sure. Get along with anybody. <laughs> hey, there's a, a, we've talked a little bit uh, before we set this up, and you talked about how some of the players that uh, – uh, you played with in the past or gone away, uh, they passed away. Uh, Danny Grant uh, was one that was surprising to me because I hadn't heard about that. Uh, you just lost another one. Um, I don't know if you saw Bob Nevin, who's a name that uh, rings a bell with me, uh, played with the I North Stars. Yeah, no, I did not know that. He played on the 72-73 team with the Stars where you guys um, lost in the playoffs to uh, to Philadelphia in six games. Um, that must have been at the start of their run of going up and, and becoming the, the team. But, yeah, it, it's sad for me to see these guys, uh, um, older guys that uh, I, I remember as a kid um, watching have passed on. Yeah. But I played with uh, played with Nevy in New York and then uh, also in Minnesota for a couple of years. And it's funny, you mentioned Philadelphia when they beat us out that year in six games. We won two games. Uh I'll give myself a pat on the back. I scored the winning goal in both games. Well, that's awesome. Those are big goals because you had two goals in that uh, that series. And again, you spent a little bit of time in the penalty box. Were you you like a troublemaker in in the NHL, no. or did the referees just did Bill Friday and a few of those other guys just didn't like you for some reason? Well, Friday to me was uh, he was too busy combing his hair and looking at plexiglass and trying to find a girlfriend for after the game. Uh, he, I didn't like him as a referee, so that was part of it, I think. Well, one of the guys you know, they, that I I can remember, Dave Newell, was the guy that I just could not stand as a, a referee because he always seemed to to blow the calls. And maybe you can give me your take on what he was like as a ref. You know, I'm not sure he re- was a referee in, when I was playing. Um, you know, John D'Amico was there. I remember him. Uh, he was a linesman, then became a ref, then he went back being a linesman. But uh, I thought he did a, a decent job. Um, but anyway, it was just, you know, just part of it. Art Scove was another good, pretty good referee. Um, yeah. There was a lot of guys back then that, you know, they and they were like us. You know, they weren't making a lot of money, but those guys were refereeing, you know, on the road all the time. Dennis, who was the biggest character that you played with uh, on any of the teams while you're in the show? I mean, just, uh, well, every team generally had somebody. Um, I know when I was in Detroit here, one of the characters was uh, Bugsy Watson. And you never knew what he was going to do. You never knew what he was going to do or say. Um, In Minnesota, we didn't have a lot of characters in there, you know, that were uh, actually really funny or, or stuff, but we used to have, um, you know, like this cause of JP, uh, we used to have a Christmas party every year and you had to bring a gag gift for somebody and pull a name out of the hat. Well, I, uh, went around and found, uh, JP's name who had it and I traded him. And, uh, JP did not like bugs or small, you know, mice or rats. So I went and bought him a set of white rats, pedigree rats, and wrapped them up in a box. <laughs> of course, at the, <laughs> at the after the dinner, 
everybody had to go up and open up their gifts in front of everybody. Well, he goes up and he opens up that, and he's just, oh, he's beside himself. Well, he takes them home, and uh, he didn't know what the hell to do with them. And, of course, I'm not going to admit that I bought them. But <laughs> it didn't take long. Now he's got mom and dad, and he's got a whole bunch of young ones. <laughs> And everybody knew what was going on. So it was just hilarious. And we're all laughing there. But uh, I don't think he ever found out that I gave them to him. Oh, that'd be interesting to talk to Zach and see see what his take was if he was uh, at an age where he knew about that stuff. I don't even think Zach was born. No. Okay. It, it's forced. And uh, Zach and Joe were from the second uh, second marriage. Okay. Okay. JP and my father used to get into uh, practical jokes against each other. And uh, one of the ones I remember my dad telling me was uh, that JP baby powdered his blue wool suit. So my dad got him back by putting uh, paint in his gloves and in his skates. And JP in his French accent was laughing about it because when he was trying to wash it off, the color kept getting darker and darker and he didn't know what was going on. So a <laughs> lot, lot of stories that I have from when I was a kid uh, growing up and, and listening to that. Uh, d- how much time did you spend with the Stars when they had Gump Worsley? And did you get to fly with Gump? Because I understand he really liked to fly. Oh, yeah, he loved it. Yeah, he just had white knuckles all the way. Um, he was a goal. He was a back. Well, him and Caesar were there when I first got traded. And then they brought uh, they got Jilly Jobert in, and they tried to keep three goaltenders there, and it wasn't working. But then they traded Jilly to Boston, and that was their future. I mean, the one year, I think we had uh, Bern Rovard and Pete Lepresti, and uh, it was just horrible, you know. And our defense was going down. They traded the Gibbs away. So, I mean, we were just – you look there – and that was half the reason I got traded because I, I opened my mouth up a couple times and uh, it comes back and bites you in the butt. But, yeah. you know, we weren't going anywhere. And then I got traded to Detroit, who had the worst record in the league. And uh, three years later, I got the C in my sweater and we made the playoffs. So that was just part of it. Then the next year, like I said, they, they didn't want any of the older guys in the team. So they started moving everybody. Teddy Harris, you got the chance to play with him, and then he ended up out in Philly, I think, at the end of his career and, and won a Stanley Cup. Uh, do you still stay in touch with Mr. Harris? No, I don't. I haven't seen him. and I didn't part in good times. Uh, I used to room with him sometimes when we're on the road with the, with the North Stars, and we got along well. And then he left. He got traded to, I think, St. Louis, and St. Louis to Philly. And then he came back as a coach, and we were like oil and water. And I don't know why, but uh, that was part of it. And I remember one morning we were just in practice warming up and taking shots at the goaltender. I come down and I, you know, I I scored twice on uh, the goaltender and both times I shot him up in the top corner, but that's what they're giving you. And then he says, get off the ice. You're trying to hurt the goaltenders. (laughs) I went off the ice, had a shower, went home. And the next day I got traded to Detroit. So that's how quick that happened. He was one of the guys that uh, I remember going up to my grandparents' resort and a nice guy. And I've been trying to reach out to him. I have not had any success in getting a hold of him. Uh, he, I think that he, he played in Springfield. Um, and I've got a friend who works at an ice rink out in Boston who's uh, got a guy that works for him who goes to all the Springfield Reds and the Springfield Knights or all the, the different – they, they got an annual get-together. I, I don't know if they'll have it this year because of COVID, but uh, he gets involved with that and goes down and loves chatting old-time hockey with these guys. Yeah, I don't know where he is. I heard he was uh, – I heard for a while that he was in New Jersey, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he's not too far from Philly, and he could be in, in New Jersey. And um, I've got some connections within the Flyers organization, and I think that that's the way I'm going to have to try to get a hold of him if I can. Uh, Dennis, what have you done post-career, and what, what are you, what are your hobbies that you enjoy doing? Well, my hobbies, uh, start with that first, are uh, downhill skiing and uh, hunting. 
I, uh, I generally go out to Vail, Colorado, and ski, and I was um, been doing that since about '82. Since I got out of the league, I went out to the first time and started skiing, and I just sort of really got attracted to it. And the other thing is, I grew up hunting and guiding and all that. You talk about fishing earlier. I was a fishing guide on Great Bear Lake uh, up in the Northwest Territories one summer when I was in college. So we used to have a lot of fun doing that. And then I finally, I migrated to uh, big game hunting. Uh, I've been over to Africa, I think, eight times and uh, really enjoy it. And then what was the other question? See, at my age, I forget. <laughs> your your hobbies, <laughs> besides hunting yeah, and fishing, well, and what is there anything else that you're doing post-career? You stay involved with hockey at all? Um, yeah, I coach kids hockey here in Detroit uh, when I was trying to get started in business. I ended up being a manufacturer rep for 25 years, and uh, then we also ended up um, buying a plant and being in manufacturing. Uh, I was just one of the partners, and then uh, when they had the big – shut down there years ago when GM claimed bankruptcy and all that, uh, they pretty well buried us because we had too much business with them. You know, like 80% of our business was through GM and they just, we just, we couldn't absorb the, the loss and shutting the plant down and all that. So that was part of it. But uh, then I went in, I was a high school coach out in, for Vail, Colorado High School uh, for five years. So that got me skiing. I used to ski 65, 70 days a year. So that worked out real good. And in the last four or five years, I've, I've just been retired. And uh, like now, I'm sitting on the deck. And a lot of times, it's good weather. I sit out here, read, and do stuff. And I, But I seem to stay busy. Well, that's great. And I know that uh, you've got connections to the rink that was in Grand Junction. Uh, that was owned by... Uh, one of the nephews of Richard Zamboni, um, Alan Coos. And that's when I walked into that rink to visit Alan and I saw your picture, I go, I got to get a hold of this guy because uh, it, it just goes back. And I have such great memories of watching, watching you play hockey. Dennis, one of the oh, things I'm, that I like, I'm sorry, go ahead. One of the, I was out there with people I know that lived in uh, Grand Junction and they were trying to get a hockey school put together, but they, they did couldn't create the interest, and um, but anyway, I went there one afternoon and signed some autographs for them and got to meet some of the people. <clears throat> but uh, I'm not sure if they still have a team out there, a kids team or not. But I know they were really trying to get the minor hockey going. Yeah, it's it's the rink is in the process, I believe, of being sold, and it's sad that the city didn't step up and buy it. But uh, when you're a business guy, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, to pay the bills, and uh, unfortunately, that rink is not going to be there in the future for future generations of hockey players. Yeah, Dennis, they one were... of the things that I'm big on is food. Um, what would be your favorite food? And you mentioned being your time in Buffalo. Did they have the wings that they're supposedly famous for in Buffalo at that time? And did you enjoy them? Um, yeah, I enjoy buffalo wings. Uh... Uh, food, but my I think Italian would be my favorite. You know, I don't mind a good steak, but uh, the Italian food seems to be if I had a choice between restaurants, that's where I'd be going. And do you have a favorite restaurant that uh, that you prefer for that food? No, we move around. Uh, uh, we just, well, we moved three years ago. We're up in uh, Rochester. It's about an hour north of Detroit, so we're still uh, trying a lot of them to see what our favorites are. You know, we've got a couple that we go back to off and on, but to say that I've got a favorite that I'm going to go to, you know, once a week or twice a week, but so far I haven't developed that. Okay. The, the last question I want to ask uh, of you is you mentioned that uh, you're bringing some stuff up to your son at a fish camp. Uh, there's a gentleman who was the engineer for the Red Wings for many years. He came a few years after you left there. Um, and he's got a place in Manistique. Where's your fish camp that uh, that you go off to? Well, I got um, a hunting place up in Oscoda, Michigan. It's about three hours north of uh, where we live here. So, okay. Uh, I, I got a house on it and um, 80 acres, and basically it's for uh, deer hunting. Okay. 
Well, my maybe what I there it works up in Escoda. Okay. Maybe what I can do is hook you up with Tom Schlang of the formerly of the Red Wings. Uh, he's got a place where he said they're catching without much challenge these days, 25, 30 pound uh, lake trout. So uh, I'll have Ooh. to get the two of you hooked up. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Okay. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. If you have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day. <laughs>